Mr. Pop. The views and opinions of this show do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of this network and its affiliates. We're back, just like John Gruden. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome to the Die Hard Sports Radio Show here on Radio AFS. We're being brought to you by Gallagher's Pub and Grill, where you'll enjoy good food, make fast friends, and enjoy all your sports on high-definition TV. It's a football extravaganza on this show today as we are going to be talking football. I'm hoping my co-host, Patrick Doheny, will join us momentarily. In the meantime, I'll hold the fort down here because there is no shortage of topics to talk about. It's football. It's the best time of the year for football. The college football playoff, Alabama and Georgia, squaring off tomorrow at the Mercedes-Benz Dome for the national championship, the fourth national championship in the college football playoff format. That culminates tomorrow. Wild card NFL weekend uh, happened, and road teams rule. What can you say? Both road teams pulling out victories yesterday. The Kansas City Chiefs dropping yet another one at home, this time to the Tennessee Titans. And the Atlanta Falcons, who were left for dead, basically, upsetting the Los Angeles Rams in the Coliseum. We're going to talk about that, break down why those teams won, why the other teams lost. We're also going to talk, we're also going to talk John Gruden, obviously. That would, that would be the biggest story of the week, and we can get into that in a second. And we'll make Super Bowl predictions for Super Bowl 52, as well as uh, an MMA boxer report with Patrick Duhaney once he comes on here. And if we have any time, we will go ahead and get into the NBA and the Los Angeles Lakers' recent nosedive. Can they turn around, or is this the Lakers starting to quit and maybe tanking for another high high lottery pick to get even younger than they are now? We're going to get into that. I've got a couple things to say about that. I'm a big Laker fan. Uh, So I've got a couple things to say about the current team and what might be going on with the organization. So we will get into that. Like I said, we have no shortage of things to talk about. And if we have more time left after going through all this, then I've got other things that I've written down as well. So you're going to be entertained today. You're going to hear some very strong opinions. You're going to get some humor. And you are going to get the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you like it is. I'm not going to tell you things based on affiliations or relationships because I don't have those relationships. It's just me and my opinion, and that's the greatness of this show. Um. He's back like we are. John Gruden, after nine years in the broad, he is coming out of the broadcast booth after nine years. Kind of like someone may come out of the closet. After nine years, he is coming out of, well, not really, but anyways, that was a bad joke. Uh, but after nine years, he is coming out of the broadcast booth to return to the sidelines. Chucky is back to terrorize the sideline and try to make life miserable for the other team. Although some would say sometimes it makes life miserable for his team because of how intense he is. But he's coming back, and he's going to the Oakland Raiders, the team that traded him away back in 2002 only to lose to him in the Super Bowl the following season when he was a head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who had a chance to hire uh, John Gruden, apparently, but they decided to give Dirk Cutter one more year to try to turn the franchise around and to turn Jameis Winston into a true franchise quarterback. So Mark Davis and the Raiders swooped in and offered him a 10-year, $100 million contract, 10 years, $10 million a year, the richest contract in the history of the NFL for a coach. 
Why is Gruden coming back now? Why 10 years? I'm going to go ahead and get into that moment. I'm going to go ahead and get into that. First, why is he coming back now? Because ESPN, over the last few years, and I've read a number of articles on this one, has succeeded in two areas. One area of succeeding is laying a whole lot of people off. They have laid off so much talent, it'll make your head spin. If you're working in an organization that is laying off as much as ESPN has, the question you've got to ask yourself is what in the name what in the name of Chris Berman is going on here? That's one reason, and that, that might have been on Gruden's mind, although Gruden appeared to be in the Ivy Tower. Gruden appeared to be in Maymac. Gruden appeared to be Teflon where he could do no wrong. So he probably wasn't in danger of being laid off, but he had to wonder how those layoffs would impact the organization as a whole. And that's a legitimate concern if you're, if you're employed by an organization laying off as much as ESPN has. The second thing is that have you noticed that the luster is off the shine of Monday Night Football? Monday Night Football matchups over the last couple of years on ESPN have been, to put it very nicely, leaving a whole lot to be desired. And Gruden never stopped being a coach. When he commentated on a game, he was coaching. When he ran his quarterback camps, you know, before the NFL draft, he was coaching. He's never stopped coaching. And what's amazing is that his coaching star grew the longer he was away from coaching. Isn't that interesting? Usually you grow in your career when you're actually doing it. But when Gruden wasn't being a coach, except on TV, which is a whole different, which is a whole different perspective. His star kept growing and growing and growing because of that Super Bowl win, because of a winning record and all of those things. And I understand why the Raiders would love to hire him. I would understand why AT would have to hire him because he's a very, very good coach. But is he a great coach? Is he worthy of a contract that I can only see being given to guys like Bill Belichick right now or Bill Walsh when he was coaching or Bill Parcells or Vince Lombardi? I, I guarantee you Vince Lombardi never made this kind of money. Um, Gruden, in terms of ESPN and Monday Night Football, Gruden saw the writing on the wall, and it's been rumored that ESPN is going to drop Monday Night Football and that they're not going to buy the rights to Monday Night Football from the NFL anymore because the NFL gets more and more expensive every single year. And if ESPN is laying off people, then they've got to be having some financial problems right now. A lot of people are cutting the cord on cable. We are moving into an era in which a lot of people are cutting the cord and they're watching their highlights on YouTube or watching it through the NFL Red Zone app or NFL Mobile. And I get updates on the NFL Mobile app on my phone all the time. And they have the videos on there, and Twitter is capturing these videos as well. And, oh, yeah, by the way, to get up, the world is as busy as ever. People on the go, people on the run, people, you know, people like me on the run, um, you know, trying to take care of business and trying to enjoy their lives, not watching as much TV. That affects ESPN. Now, ESPN was going great during the recession, depression that we had going on here from 2008 to about a couple, a few years ago before the economy started to show signs of recovering. So ESPN was flying high at that particular time, but they have 
come crashing back down to earth. And as a result, they're laying off, they're losing some money, they're losing some customers, and Monday Night Football, which used to be the crown jewel of the football week, the game you look forward to, is now Sunday Night Football on NBC. Usually they get the best matchup because they have the flex option, but usually Sunday Night Football is the game of the week, um, notwithstanding the Fox game of the week, which is usually pretty good, but usually not quite as good as Sunday Night Football. Monday Night Football, on the other hand, has become kind of an afterthought. Even Thursday Night Football could do I'll do Monday Night Football. That might be the worst football night of the week. But Monday Night Football is not holding the state luster as it is. I felt Gruden wasn't going to come back to coach. It was someone asked about it. I said, he's not going to come back to coach unless ESPN starts messing with his salary or, or so on and so forth. Because he was making $8 million a year. He was the highest paid employee at ESPN. He was there, Bill Simmons, after Bill Simmons left unceremoniously several years ago. So John Gruden was the highest paid employee there. He was a made man, and he was calling Monday Night Football games, for God's sakes. I mean, talk about a gig that people would kill for. Well, some people anyways. He was a made man, and I felt like the only way he would leave is that if ESPN started messing with him in any way, messing with his status, messing with his contract, messing with how much money he was making per year. You know, trying to say, hey, we need you to pull back. We need you to get back a little bit and blah, 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 blah. Well, it didn't get to that point. It got to the point where the Raiders came a-calling and Gruden just couldn't resist. And Mark Davis couldn't resist giving him a 10-year, $100 million contract, which I'm going to get into now. Why 10 years? Now, $10 million a year, obviously the Raiders can put that money out there. I don't have a problem with that. I've never had a problem with guys getting as much money as they can. That's how it works. If you can get paid $10 million a year, you know, if, if, someone wants $8 million, if, if someone says $8 million a year, but you can get paid 10 you can get paid more uh, than what you're getting paid previously, have at it. Go for it. Get as much money as you can. I have no problem with that. It's not my money at the end of the day. Um, so if a lot of people in my career go, well, how could you take $100 million? How could you not? I mean, seriously, it's $100 million. That is generational wealth. That's wealth that will cross over to uh, one or two generations after the recipient of a contract like that has passed. You can't turn that up. Not in this country, not in this day and age, not for any reason whatsoever. doesn't make you a bad person, so I have no issue with the money. I do have an issue with the years, though, because you better be exceptional if you are going to see through a 10-year contract. A 10-year contract was just offered in college football. I'm trying to remember who. Um, it'll come to me. Why 10 years, Mark Davis? I asked a friend of mine about this, and he said, well, the Raiders are about to move Vegas. They want to make a big splash. I agree. Gruden is a big splash. He's the biggest splash. This is the guy that has been in rumors about returning to the sidelines every single December going into the offseason. Finally, Gruden has accepted an opportunity and fulfilled what so many people were seemingly waiting to see happen for a day's age. It's a big splash just hiring him, Mark Davis. 
but 10 years turns a splash into a potential tidal wave because Gruden, who I said is a very, very good coach, may not be a great coach. After that Super Bowl run in Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay kind of fell off a little bit. Wasn't making the playoffs for consecutive years. Has Gruden changed a little bit? Because if he's intense as he was before he went to the broadcast group at ESPN, he's going to wear his players out. Like Tom Thibodeau with, you know, with the Bulls, wear his players out. He's got to there's a time to be intense, but there's also a time to be philosophical. And I wonder if Gruden learned that in the broadcast booth. I wonder if being in the broadcast booth got him a little bit of perspective. Because he was consistently as intense as he was before uh, leaving Tampa Bay back in 2009. I can't see him lasting 10 years. I mean, do you realize how long 10 years is? It's, a, it's got its own term. It's a decade. That tells you something. It's got its own term. A decade. It's a long time. I mean, in the grand scheme of life, it's not a long time, 10 years, but 10 years in the same position with the same organization, that is a long time. And if Gruden is as intense, if not more intense than he was before he went to ESPN, it's not going to last. But Mark Davis wants to make a big splash. Well, he's made a big splash just by hiring Gruden. And like I said, offering him a 10-year contract now makes it a potential tidal wave if it doesn't work out. If it works out great, if they win multiple Super Bowls, it'll be worth it. And he should win multiple Super Bowls. If he's got 10 years, one Super Bowl every five years, I think is reasonable. He did so in Tampa's first year, and then he was a made man after that. Getting opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to fail before Tampa finally said, okay, we've got to make a change. It took him a while. But they did it. It didn't take Mark Davis a while. When Mark Davis extends Jack Del Rio after last season, after the Raiders' successful campaign, and then uh, fires Jack Del Rio a season later in favor of getting John Gruden. So it did take the Raiders a while, but it took Tampa a while to uh, see the light with John Gruden. And the Raiders better hope the same thing doesn't happen here, where maybe he wins the Super Bowl in the first five years, which they should. They've got the talent to do it if they can just shore up the defense. And Gruden can create a defense in, in, in Oakland that is similar to the defense that he had in Tampa, which was the biggest reason why he won the Super Bowl that year, because the offense was good, but not that good behind Brad Johnson, the starting quarterback. Michael Pittman, the starting running back. Keyshawn Johnson, a wide receiver, and all those guys. But it was a defense that led them to that victory. No question about it. There's nothing wrong with that. So if Gruden can create a defense that – doesn't have to be as good as that Tampa Bay defense, but comes close. They'll win a Super Bowl because offensively they have the pieces. And Gruden, if there's one thing he knows, is offense. And he's going to come in and call in the plays. He's going to be uh, Sean McVay in that. He's going to come in and he's going to call the plays. And that's fine as long as he hires a very strong defensive coordinator and defensive staff that takes care of things. He's got Paul Gunther coming from Cincinnati. He's a very good defensive coordinator. I'm not going to put him in the same class as a Wade Phillips or Dom Capers, um, you know, in his prime before he left Green Bay, but he's a very good defensive coordinator, and he should be able to handle that side of the ball and allow Gruden to do he does best, and that's focused on the offense. But 10 years, two Super Bowls, at least, if not more, that's what Gruden should deliver. And if he does, that 10-year contract will have been worth it. 
if it's only one with a few losing seasons mixed in, tidal wave. And Gruden is out of coaching, and he doesn't come back. This is it. This is probably his last hurrah as an NFL head. He could always go back to the broadcast booth if he wants to. So congratulations to the Raiders for getting that splash higher in anticipation of uh, relocating to their billion-dollar facility in Las Vegas. And good luck. Hoping that that 10-year contract uh, yields a lot of sweet, low-hanging fruit and not a lot of what we saw in the last several years of Tampa Bay after Gruden won the Super Bowl there back in 2003 over the Raiders in San Diego. Um, I'm going to take a quick commercial break here because it looks like I'm going to be manning this show by myself for a little while here. Um, my partner may be under the weather, and that's fine. I will go ahead and take the show because, like I said, i got plenty to talk about here. But this is just me. I'm going to go ahead and take a brief break here. When I come back, we're going to react to NFL Wild Card Saturday, road teams rule <laughs> on that day. Uh, so we're going to get into that, and then we will get into previewing NFL Wild Card Sunday and making some predictions there, and we will go from there. In the meantime, please enjoy um, the following, please enjoy the, uh, the following introspective. I just intro. I just went introspective on the John Gooding hire and the Tim and the um, and the ten-year contract. I'm going to go and play here introspective by illiteracy for the next few minutes, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to the Dire Sports Radio Show on Radio AFS, RadioAFS.com. Don't go anywhere. Everything you thought it would be The highly anticipated return Illiteracy This is no placebo The follow-up to us checking your ego A lot of personas have been exposed as made up like those in the culture Known as emo But this is life authenticated with no Tebo They talk mathematics Lavish habits Earning scratch from the attic Freaky females with fattest assets Smash tactics Premium trees Unpackaged Wrapped in leaves Matches, ashes, these the crayons What kind of conclusion do you think kids are drawing from those? Before you point a finger or judge Closely examine the person in the mirror with the straw in their nose Dirty little secrets, embarrassed once y'all are exposed Desperation with your back to a wall of enclosed Don't act like what I'm talking is prose Cause my lines frustrate you like the theme parks were walking as though I just make it so you walk on your toes And give you materials to build as often as loads I'm well liked but still caution my foes Like cheap sneakers, is it really worth the loss of your soul? How ironic yet it's infinite Step into the church centered and unforgivable Physically blessed earth angel in a tight dress Alters my focus, that easy to digress Yes, even with the best intentions Hell seems less in the distance Closer to each footprint I leave's invention So this is what I turn to to ease the tension Introspective, maybe to a fault Stepping out of my head and my comfort zone And in the process I leave the box Like I added to my slugging percentage Or time's up on my penalty minute Still for my penance So I don't rock the rosary Closer to God is where I'm supposed to be Many steps 
remain But with each one I take a little strength is gained And so I dig a little deeper Work a little harder Understand a little bit more about my partner Finding motivation, time and dedication Things that'll better me during the separation Working on my music, skipping all the parties Choosing who I hang around, no Kens or Barbies and no time for none of the nonsense So please don't mistake my tolerance for fondness It's real Such a pushover as I stare into the mirror So convinced I shouldn't disagree When me and others differ Since clinched I Release my anger on my kidneys Taste the Henny with the Mickeys In the bottle so insisting Have another till I'm empty I can make you confident So you're happy It distracts me when my inner demons kick me And I can paint a smile like Da Vinci Just enough so no one says What's wrong with the guy in cubicle 6B Venting, notepad Open on my desktop Hoping that my manager Don't catch me while I let off Love and inspiration Sadness and rage Happiness but always follow by me Man and shame wasn't meant to be contained But at least my words are free to escape and travel the world If only they could send a postcard Saying who they met and the places they've been Maybe one day looks like I'm less than an invitation to realness, no chapters in fame or literacy Even others claiming the same We'll betray the struggles on stage We walk through the stages of life Struggling, praying to weather the pain Holy dance moves required, those to dodge the rain In a certain side steps, the dodge the lanes Ready and able, so we ain't dodging chains So if you the type to get gas, best you dodge these planes This is for that real hip-hop Those who get engulfed in their music No love for their moms and pops Those with no money, no toys for top Probably making beats while they banging on pans and pots Or those with their passion and they just won't stop Because mainstream ain't shit when they adding up their figures If hip-hop is dead, I'm a zombie, nigga so pop in the lid if you're trying to get bit Feeling like I'm bound to the essence that surrounds progression And around fake cats that's surrounded by possession I got the vibe, the glow, the touch, the eye, the vividness I'm living in infinite skies, no cloud vibe Dripping the power drive, sound to your dome No man roam to sound like I Define the pinnacle I close my eyes and imagine the world less a bullshit lyrical Rabbits that remind me of spun off cereal Populate the aisle with shit that's already out now It's so apparent that generic is a merit They wear it like a badge and they ain't afraid to share it I'm immune to the views that consume those that lose On my own path I choose And I cannot stress this enough The music matters Honestly, your jail record does not go on your discography Declaring the error of ill that has never been and never will Be another like we, we get nothing like these Feeling like a new breed And immune to the poison that they all breathe Illiteracy Welcome back to the Dire Sports Radio Show on Radio AFS. I am your host, Yvette Scott. holding it down in this football extravaganza. Woo. I feel it. Um, so talking about John Gruden before, I'm reacting uh, to him coming out of the booth and coming back to the sideline. That's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But that's not the only thing going on. Wild Card Saturday happened yesterday in the NFL. Road teams rule. I can't remember the last time that both road teams won on a Saturday, but it happened yesterday. 
One we shouldn't be so surprised by, the Tennessee Titans taking out the Kansas City Chiefs, a team that has not won a home game since Joe Montana, 1993. Yes, that is the last time the Kansas City Chiefs won a home playoff game. And it was bound to happen because, well, there was a certain referee calling the game a referee who I don't think fully understands the rules of the NFL or interprets the rules as opposed to just understanding the rules. I'll perhaps follow by saying the more you interpret, the less you understand. Understanding is straightforward. Understanding is you see it for what it is. Interpreting is theories and opinions. And sometimes those have holes in them. Jeff Triplett came on to the um, – it was a referee in this particular game, and there was one particular play. Oh, it looks like my co-host is here. Let me go ahead and bring him on here before I get into the brunt of this, actually, and we can have a back and forth. The show is going to be much better for this. Good morning, Patrick. How are you, sir? Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, indeed. I am live and ready to go. Now, let's hear what you're talking about, because you know I'm going to be throwing shots at you today. Fair enough. I um, well, I have to uh, I have to come clean about something, and I have to um, kind of take my lumps today because the Buffalo Bills are in the playoffs, or maybe they're not frauds. But I have an argument yes, that I can make about. I have an argument that I can make about that. It might not pass the grade. It might not make the grade, but I have an argument I can make about that. We'll get into that momentarily, though, as part of our wild card preview Sunday. The Bills back in the playoffs for the first time all. All, all century. <laughs> they haven't been there since last century, 1999. <laughs> so we will get into that. But right now what we're talking about is wild card Saturday, and I'm also going to ask you about the John Gruden, uh, about John Gruden's return to the NFL momentarily because I had a commentary on that before, uh, on him coming back now, why now, and why the 10-year contract, by the way. I'm going to ask you about those things momentarily, Patrick. But in the meantime, we're talking – why the Chiefs lost at home to the Tennessee Titans, a team that has not won a home playoff game since 1993, and a, t- and a team that was uh, a game that was appreciated by Jeff Triplett, arguably the worst referee in the NFL because of some of the calls he's made this year that have not made sense whatsoever. Uh, so maybe it was just destiny that Kansas City was going to lose this game uh, how do you respond to the Chiefs dropping yet another home game, this time to the upstart Tennessee Titans that had to fight their way just to get into the playoffs after a massive struggle to end the season? How do you explain Kansas City losing at home to Tennessee? Well, first and foremost, I mean, Tennessee did get a little bit of a – got to give Tennessee a lot of credit as far as the grit and Mariota just really tried everything he possibly could do to get back into the game and not only do that but lead this team to get the W. I mean – Tennessee has had a lot of coaching issues. There's been a lot of questionable calls as far as their play calling for all seasons. So you got to give these that team in general a lot of credit. But Kansas City, I mean, I personally think that it's time to get rid of Andy Andy Reid and you know Alex Smith may need to move on. I mean, that team has been poised to run the AFC West for so many years that there's no reason as to why they lost to the Titans other than just simple fact, play, poor play calling, poor coaching, and just in general, just poor execution as far as making sure to lock it in. I mean, your defense was already 
basically dominating them throughout the entire first half. There was that terrible – there was that close call where they almost got the ball back and were able to go ahead and return it back to the touchdown. But, of course, uh, Henry was down on the play. But, you know, that, that, that loss that Kansas City got yesterday was just simple. It was on them. You know, there's going to have to be some changes as far as uh, Alex Smith is probably going to be leaving if I was him, I would. And I think that Andy Reid maybe needs need to go ahead and be out of out of there and probably retire because, I mean, he just can't get teams over the up. I mean, we saw it with Philadelphia. We see another example of it yesterday, you know, looking at that, that situation with the game. It just it – just, I'm going to blame Andy Reid on that one in the play calling. You know, what's interesting about that, Patrick, and, yeah, there were some questionable play calls in that game, but a whole lot of questionable officiating and a lucky break for Tennessee when Marcus Mariota cut his arm pass for a touchdown. You remember that one. That might have been a momentum. That's just one of those freak plays that, you know, as I heard on ESPN radio last night, you won't see again for the next 10 years. Although we don't know that for sure, but that was – Certainly a play that you're not going to see very often. A quarterback passes, it gets batted, the quarterback catches it, then runs it in for the touchdown. A little lucky break and a little momentum for Tennessee, and there's something to be said about that. But your point about the play calling is interesting because that's what turned Kansas City around in the regular season. That's what allowed them to win the division. After starting out 5-0 and and then they massively struggled in the middle, the Chargers are making their move. And Andy Reid decides to turn over the play-calling duties to offensive coordinator Matt Nagy, who is a hothead coaching prospect because Kansas City wins four of the last five games. And, they, and it's because Andy Reid turns the play-calling over to Matt Nagy, and the team is better off for it. And then they come into this game, and what happens, happens. But I think Kansas City's undoing. One, Alex Smith, and, and I've read a lot of reports that Alex Smith probably will be there next year, and I'm inclined to believe. That's the case. And if he signs with a certain team, they are a Super Bowl favorite, which I would dispute because Alex Smith has never been to a Super Bowl. How do you make them a Super Bowl fan? I know Alex Smith has a good reputation. I'm happy that he's made, you know, a pretty good run of it uh, after getting unceremoniously traded by San Francisco after Colin Kaepernick emerged. Uh, So I'm happy that he did well over there. But to say that he's going to make a team a Super Bowl favorite, I think is a little far-fetched. Because he's the guy that gets you to a certain point, but can't seem to get you over the top. Like Tony Dungy with Tampa, before he left, and John Gruden finished off what Tony Dungy started. That's what Alex Smith says, says to me. And Andy Reid might be the same way. Five straight Ooh. NFC championship games with the Eagles last decade. One Super Bowl appearance and a loss to the Patriots, and Donovan McNair getting sick to his stomach late in the game. Not his fault, but kind of the epitome of Andy Reid's coaching career in Philly. So near yet so far. You can say the same thing in Kansas City. And Kansas City's defense, as talented as it is, not that good. Derrick Henry ran through and around that Kansas City defense. Tennessee played physical with Derrick Henry and Taylor Lewan, the offensive tackle, one of the best in the game. So that certainly worked out in Tennessee. You know, they didn't abandon the run game, even though they were behind to Tennessee's credit, because usually that's what teams are going to do. But they stuck with that running game, and Derrick Henry just destroyed Kansas City in that second half. Marcus Mariota played very well and got that lucky play. But yeah. Alex Smith, I think, is out of there. And your point about – I don't think Andy Reid's going to leave. I think they want to see what he could do with Patrick Mahomes – 
And if Matt Nagy does not get a head coaching opportunity, he comes back as offensive coordinator, and maybe they start next year where you have an offensive coordinator on the coach on the call on the plays. Andy Reid focuses on coaching, uh, preparation, putting the team in a position to win and making in-game adjustments. Um, and defensively they get better because that's, to me, their biggest problem right now. Uh, defensively they're just not as good as they've been. And then we'll see what well, they have, but uh, – so I don't think Reed will be gone, but I think Smith will be. I think also the a good another valid point to go ahead and mention on that is the fact that Eric Berry is out of the season and was not able to play. So I mean that's another yep. point as far as that defense not being as good as absolutely. Be. Derek Johnson well, I think had some issues as well uh, with injury, the <laughs> middle linebacker. So yeah, and then also another another key factor as to why Kansas City lost that game was the loss of Travis Kelty through the concussion after the I think it was around the second Did quarter. Did you see that hit? The yeah, that was a terrible. Oh hit. my lord! Terrible hit. And he, I mean, it could have broke the TV screen. And you can see, you can see. I mean, Travis Kelty is baby Gronkowski, and he was rattled. And you know, looking at that, that I think was was another thing that probably you know set him set him up for failure. If you had Travis Kelsey in that game, I think Kansas City walks away and wins that game with ease because I think at that time he was seven catches and about 66 yards. And even looking at it, too, with Alex Smith's uh, statistics, I mean, I don't think that he threw an interception. I think he was two touchdowns for about 250, and his percentage was right over about maybe 50 or 60%. If I, if, you know, don't, don't quote me if I could be wrong, but Alex Smith did not throw a bad game, so – you know, I, I really point the finger back at Andy Reid and him not being able to go ahead and facilitate this team to be in a better position, especially when you lose Kelsey. You should have a, another option as far as the go-to guy to throw the ball to. And then also Kendall Hunt didn't really run very well at all. He ran, I think, he was under 50 yards for his running as well, too. So, you know, just poor execution, I think, is, is the main thing. And when it comes down to execution, I mean, you can point it to the players, but I'm going to always look at the coaching staff because they're the ones who are supposed to be five players. Well, Kansas City is out. Tennessee is moving on, as are the Atlanta Falcons, a team left for dead after the collapse in the Super Bowl. The Rams coming in with a better defense, theoretically, an offense that is number one in the league. And their specialties, I mean, but without Greg Zerline. Um, certainly, uh, Atlanta has a great place kicker themselves in, uh, in Matt Bryant. But uh, the Rams lose at home yesterday to the Atlanta Falcons. A team that, uh, boy, if they get back to the Super Bowl, how improbable would that be? Um, That's not how do you happen. respond to the, uh, to the Falcons coming into the Coliseum and winning against the Los Angeles Rams, a lot of people expected it to go the other way. Um, you, you know what? The Falcons got lucky. The, the Falcons definitely got lucky. Um, there was an injury on the Rams' defense that caused everything put up. Michael Brockers. Yes, sir. You hit it. You hit it right there. Once Brocker was injured, and once he went out, that that Falcon offense was able to start clicking. Devontae Freeman was able to run the ball. The pressure that was being brought to Matt Ryan had somewhat relaxed. So that was the thing that kind of kind of broke the camel's back in regards to that offense flicky for Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta's defense, they, they, they performed so far. They, they weren't terrible. But, you know, they, they made plays when they needed to. 
But that that injury, just in general, was really the reason why the Rams lost last night. I was really disappointed to see them lose. But you know, one thing that I can say is that looking through social media and talking to a couple, uh, talking to my boy who went, and looking at a couple people who went, you know, the 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 energy is still high in LA. You know, we. We're still thriving, and there's going to be a lot more playoff games. And I think next season, it's going to be a real good competition between the 49ers and the Rams. I mean, that's going to be one of the things that are going to be reignited. And, you know, hopefully Seattle continues to falter because uh, it doesn't seem like that team is going to be able to get themselves together. But, yeah, it's, uh, it mainly falls on the defensive side as far as the reason why the Falcons were able to be triumphantly yesterday. And then also, you know, major – Major brownie points to to that that coaching staff to be able to go ahead and get that team together. You know, Atlanta was able to put it together correctly. Well, uh, certainly uh, Atlanta running the football because the thing is, and I, I've I've said this often on prior radio shows that if you're going to win in the playoffs, I know it's a quarterback driven league. I get that, but if you're going to win in the playoffs, then you better run the football as much as you pass it. Because then you keep a defense off balance. You keep a defense playing honest, not cheating toward the line, not blitzing a lot. Uh, the Rams definitely wanted to do that with Matt Ryan, anticipating that their Atlanta run game wouldn't be as successful as it was. Um, so that certainly did the Rams in, is the Falcons' ability to run the football with Devontae Freeman, which opened up Matt Ryan to do what he does. That's when Atlanta's at their best. Um, but I think uh, this game swung on turnovers. Specifically, Farrell Cooper with a couple of gaffes um, on special teams on punt, on punt returns, fumbling once, Atlanta gets it, and then they get held to a field goal, then uh, getting uh, fumbling again because of a strip uh, by Atlanta, and Atlanta scoring a touchdown going up 13-0, and that's when I felt the game kind of turned in Atlanta's favor. The Lions got to within 13-10 at the half. Only scored three points in that second half as Atlanta unleashed the dogs going after Jared Goff, a very young Jared Goff, a very young Rams offense, uh, especially in the skill position. So I thought Atlanta took advantage of that. And the turnovers uh, for Atlanta, or uh, the turnovers against the Rams, uh, I think allowed Atlanta to build momentum. I think allowed them to build their confidence. And their field position for most of the game was good, and that helped the running game out. And then Matt Ryan got it going in the second half. So, um, your point notwithstanding, I thought the turnovers, uh, and I thought when Atlanta went up 13 nothing was the beginning of the end for the Rams uh, in that particular game, with Atlanta getting off to a good start and feeling comfortable. And, you know, no two games are alike, so you can go by the regular season all you want, but this is the playoffs. It's a whole different tempo. It's a whole different speed. Atlanta's been there, and the Rams have not. Well, now the Rams have been there, so they'll be better off for this. But uh, you can't turn the ball over. When you're the better team, you can't turn the ball over because when you do, their team gains confidence and momentum, and it can be very difficult to overcome that. Yeah, valid point. Very valid point. So the Falcons move on uh, along with the Tennessee Titans, and we'll preview those games next week, or maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll preview the Saturday games on this show if we have time. Uh, the other game, so now it's Wild Card Sunday. AFC matchup: the Buffalo Bills back in the playoffs for the first time in 1990, since 1999 against the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team returned to the playoffs for the first time since 2008. Yes, sir. And yes, I'm here to 
And, yes, I'm here to admit that the Buffalo Bills may not be the big frauds that I thought they were. With some head-scratching losses during the regular season, I will say this. They needed Baltimore to lose to get in. They didn't control yeah. their own destiny. Yeah. And Baltimore uh, lost. Right. And and, right. and, 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 and then Buffalo won their final game against Miami to their credit. You know, Miami's right. a bad reaching. team, but sometimes those are the hardest games to win when you're going up against a team that you should beat and be expected to beat them because it's a bad team versus a good team. It's not that easy in the NFL. Winning a football game in the NFL is never easy, inherently speaking. So right. they beat Miami in their final game to their credit, but they needed help, and they got it. So congratulations to Buffalo Bills for being in the playoffs. I'm not mm-hmm. looking for them there to make go. a deep playoff run, though. They may, but um, but are they? Oh, uh, no, do I consider gonna... them full-fledged frauds at this point? I don't, but I do consider them lucky. And sometimes luck is better than being good. Um, so <laughs> the Buffalo Bills are back. You are vindicated with them being in there. I mean, how do you react to the Bills? A team that went to four straight Super Bowls is back in the playoffs. I mean, how do you react to the Bills being back in the playoffs finally? Well, yeah, I mean, you look at the Bills Mafia. They're hyped up. I mean, Bills fans are, are really gassed up. I've talked to three of them, and they are just, you know, they're, they're, they're happy. They're happy. They're ecstatic. They're, they're really pumped up. I mean, they're going to lose, of course, which is the one thing that I have been telling them, you know, as far as congratulations first and letting them know. They are going to lose to the Jaguars. I mean, the Jaguars have not been there for a while. Leonard Fournette was the missing piece to Jacksonville. I've been talking about Jacksonville's defense for a number of years as being one of the teams that is on the bubble but just can't get over the hump. And now with Leonard Fournette being there, Blake Bortles, if he is able to kind of be a better game manager and understand that he doesn't need to be such a gunslinger and throwing the ball deep and throwing the ball in double coverage and trying to thread the needle, that team can possibly make a run to get into the championship with the defense they have due to the fact of the history of them beating Pittsburgh terribly, I think it was 30 to nine. So this team, Jacksonville is the one that I'm really going to be watching and paying attention to Buffalo for sure is going to be, you know, just the fans are just happy to be there. I didn't think that they were a bad team. They've had some questionable calls and, They've had some questionable questionable games in general, but as far as them making the playoffs, I had no doubt about this due to the fact that the AFC East has been an up-and-down area, especially with the Patriots at the very beginning of the season. That gave a lot of teams confidence. That gave them the, the thought process that they could possibly make it to the playoffs and be a team that could possibly beat the Patriots. So, you know, towards the tail end, of course, they got the reality kicked in and they weren't able to go ahead and do the things that they were able to. But what's the difference? Congratulations, Buffalo. I called it. I told you. Buffalo's better than what you think. They're going to put up a fight against Jacksonville, but I don't see them beating them. What is your call on that? Well, the one thing is it's a hard game to call because both teams come in equally inexperienced. Obviously, Jacksonville with home kind of field advantage. And defensively, they have 55 sacks this year. But Tyrod Taylor is a mobile quarterback. True. So it's going to be much harder for them to get to Tyrod Taylor than someone like Matty Ice, who's not as mobile, so or Tom Brady or someone like that. Uh, so, but I think where this game turns is LaShawn McCoy's sprained ankle. 
He's probably going to go to the end. The reason why he's going to go is because they absolutely need him to. But their need to have him go is not the same thing as him being completely healthy. He won't be. And LaShawn McCoy is not a power back. He's a guy that wants to run around people, not through people. Uh, So if he can't quite make the same cuts that he's capable of making when he's 100% healthy, that's going to be a problem. And even though Tyrod Taylor is mobile and can buy time and avoid that pass rush, what Tyrod Taylor is not is a guy that can overcome how it works in the NFL. Um, If you're one-dimensional offensively, against a good defense, you're in trouble. This is a great defense. So Buffalo has to run the football with a shot. And you'll remember their second, their backup running back, I forget what his name is, was cut in the offseason. This was a guy that was highly touted, uh, you know, as a backup running back, almost as good as LaShawn McCoy. They cut him, which was an interesting move, and we don't know why. So you don't have him in this game. And you don't have LaShawn McCoy at 100%. And you've got Tyrod Taylor who's mobile, but if it's a one-dimensional offense, it's not going to work. You can't win a game like that. You can't win a game like that um, unless Jacksonville starts turning the ball over. And that's usually how better teams lose is they turn the ball over, they commit too many penalties, too many enforced penalties, so on and so forth, pre-snap penalties, stuff like that. Uh, so as long as Jacksonville doesn't beat themselves, doesn't turn the ball over, and with Blake Bortles, you know, obviously that's a concern. Uh, because you can't be a turnover machine. Uh, they should win this game because Osama McCoy is not 100%. They have an opportunity potentially to face a Buffalo offense that could be one-dimensional with Tyron Taylor, and it's just not going to be a winning formula in a playoff game. Um, so I expect Jacksonville to win, but I think the game is going to be fairly close because neither one of these yeah. offensives scare me if I'm an opposing defensive coordinator. Well, I mean, if I if I'm playing devil's advocate against my own my own thought process on this, I mean, Jacksonville does have a history of turning the ball over, of course, and that's been a major problem well, for them. Bortles, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then also, and then also, if you look at it too, Leonard Fournette is coming in somewhat gimpy because he had a couple of small minor injuries towards the last half of the season, so. There's still an opportunity for Buffalo to possibly do some things as far as maybe throwing the ball. I mean, Tyrod Taylor has has the capability to be a, a good quarterback. So it's, it's, it, it, there is a flip of a coin to a certain degree, but I, I personally, just because I'm maybe a little bit biased and I want to see Jacksonville get a W, um, I think that the Jags have enough as far as defensively with Jalen Ramsey being able to shut down whoever he's going up against for them to go ahead and kind of dominate this game, especially being at home. Boy, so how good is that see. Jacksonville secondary? How good is yep. that Jacksonville secondary? A.J. Boyd, Jalen Ramsey. My God, that secondary is just loaded. I, I, you know, I, I think that the Jacksonville secondary is now the legitimate legion of boom, you know, with what's going on in Seattle. Oh. I mean, that secondary yeah. is just loaded. With talent yeah, and I with think guys that play well, you know, it's and that and that defensive line is and they can get to the quarterback to the too and get fifty-five sacks for God's sake, you know. And I'll bet you more than half of those were covered sacks because of guys like Rand, yeah. Ramsey and Boy. Yeah, so I mean, this this, this Jaguars team has the potential to make a somewhat of a deep run, especially with the way that everything's set up because they play Buffalo. I believe that they play Pittsburgh if they get the W today, and then going into the championship. 
they could give the Patriots a run for the money due to the fact of how talented that defense is. So <clears throat> I, yeah. I'm not I'm not too far gone to say that the Jaguars could possibly be the AFC the AFC representative in the in the uh, Super Bowl. So. We'll see, man. It could be if they get the the offense playing well. If Fournette plays well and uh, Blake Bortles uh, does a good enough job, yeah, I mean, they have a defense that could get you to a uh, Super Bowl like Denver. But offensively, they're going to have to do their part, so we will certainly see. Uh, Calais Campbell also, uh, what an incredible player. MVP candidate as far as I'm concerned. He's not going to get it over Brady or over Todd Gurley. But um, Calais Campbell, what he's done, rallying the defense, the leadership he's brought. Uh, also a huge, huge key for uh, for Jacksonville this year. So um, we'll see what happens. But uh, what, Jacksonville's offense is going to be the thing to watch because as that offense goes, so goes the team. So if they play well, they'll be fine. If they don't, then the defense can only do so much. Um, man. The Buffalo Bills and the Jacksonville Jaguars both facing each other after long absences in the playoffs. Who knew? Oh, oh, um, this guy. This guy. This guy right here. This guy right here. That's you, new. Me. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's no question about it. Next time, next time you have that question, just you know, just go ahead and bring up my name. Let it be known, Patrick. Well, I'm gonna get my name. Um, since you're the guy that's always right, so. Lay those bets down if I lose, I'm irresponsible. So, um, not that we promote gambling on the show, by the way. Sports investing. Invest in your uh, knowledge of sports. That's okay. <clears throat> the New Orleans Saints <clears throat> and the Carolina Panthers in the NFC matchup. These two teams are not strangers to the playoffs. They've been there recently. I think the Saints are coming in for the first time in three years. A couple of losing seasons there. They are back, but that's not a really long time. Of course, the Carolina Panthers – not in the playoffs last season, but went to the Super Bowl the season before. Uh, as a matter of fact, both these teams have been to a Super Bowl with one team winning and one team losing. And the big question in this game is, can the New Orleans Saints defeat the Carolina Panthers for the third time this season? A lot of people feel that's going to be very, very hard. Maybe impossible. I have an answer for that, but let me go to you, Patrick. It's a great matchup. <laughs> it's a really good matchup. Two teams that know each other, a couple of really good defenses, but one offense is playing really, really well, and the other offense, you don't quite know what to expect uh, from them, specifically Cam Newton and Car- Cameron Newton and the Carolina Panthers. So what's your feeling on this matchup? Who do you think it's going to tilt towards? You know, I've been wrestling with this matchup ever since it was announced, trying to figure out who was going to be the winner. I mean, New Orleans is really, really clicking right now as far as their offense is concerned. And Carolina, for some reason, Cam Newton's able to go ahead and make magic happen, but we don't know what type of Cam Newton that we're going to end up getting. We don't know if he's going to be the great Cam Newton to be able to go ahead and facilitate the game and kind of be able to go ahead and execute correctly. But I'm going to go with New Orleans, even though I'm not a big fan of this team or Drew Brees himself. I'm going to go with New Orleans due to the fact that that team has so many different offensive weapons that they cannot drop the ball on this. I mean, Carolina is struggling as far as having the targets that Cam Newton needs. I mean, Chris McCaffrey has not been what they thought he would be. He's kind of been somewhat of a bust this season. And Cam Newton's just have a lot of issues. I mean, granted, the last couple of games he did play very well, but he's been inconsistent. James Stewart has not run the ball very well at all. 
and that defense has been somewhat shaky as far as showing up to play in certain games. So my pick is going to be the Saints with Drew Brees and Mike Thomas and just in general, that team is just – I think that's just a better team on paper, and I think that they'll be able to win this game today. What about you? And especially because the Saints well, are at home. Also. To, answer, to answer the question, it's going to be really hard being them for a third time. That's true. But that's also an incomplete thought. I'm going to finish it, a little dot, dot, dot. How hard is it to beat a football team once in a 16-game season? How hard is it to beat a same team twice? Once on the road, yeah, Bless it's you. gonna be hard for the. Thank you. It's gonna be hard for the Saints to beat the Carolina Panthers for the third time. But they've already done what's hard, making hard not impossible. One thing people have got to understand is that hard and impossible are defined differently. Believe me on this. Look in the dictionary at some point today, and you'll see that hard and impossible life is hard right now. Um. Yeah, the Saints can beat the Panthers for the third time. I don't care how hard it is because they beat them twice in the regular season, once on the road. How easy is that? They're the better team. It's that mm-hmm. simple. The better teams win. This is simple math. Now, and Marshawn Lattimore, the safety for the Saints, you know, I mean, this is a team that turns you over. They keep plays in front of you. Cam Newton is going to try to go down the field. That's their best bet. If Cam Newton could go down the field against Carol against New Orleans, then New Orleans and New Orleans can't keep plays in front of them. That's where you know that's where uh, New Orleans could have a problem. But this is a team that can turn you over. They're playing at home. They won five straight. They're coming in with more momentum, and it, it's not impossible for them to beat Carolina for a third time. So let's not make, let's not liken the hard to impossible because that's not the case. They've already done the hard work by beating Carolina twice in the regular season, once on the road. So there's no reason to doubt their ability to beat them one more time in the playoffs, which is not going to play out like a regular season game. Um, take Carolina outside of the dome, and you got a shot against them, but that's not the case. So. Um, I'm going to say Carolina wins the game too. Uh, Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, 1,500 yards and all-purpose yards each in the regular season. How's Carolina going to contain that? Uh, and is Cam Newton going to be able to get the ball down the field? Because he's not a guy who likes to throw underneath. He's not a guy that throws out. He wants to throw it down the field. But you got Marcus Lattimore, and you've got that secondary waiting, uh, you know, that is very good at hawking the ball and turning the ball over. so, But that's what Carolina's going to have to do. They're going to try to get the ball down the field against New Orleans and make them play honest uh, because New Orleans is going to cheat and they're going or New Orleans is going to cheat and they're going to make sure that they stop the running game. The Canadians got to get the ball down the field. But I like uh, New Orleans in this game because they're the better overall team on both sides. They're the better overall team. Carolina's got a really good defense, but New Orleans knows it and Drew Brees is still back there. And, you know, he'll be consistent, especially if Carolina, if New Orleans can run the ball behind Kamara and behind Mark Ingram. And I have no reason to believe that won't be the case. So I like New Orleans in this game. Any final? Yeah. Uh, I mean, just the simple fact is that it's playoffs football. So, I mean, what's done in the regular season is something that does have some weight to it. But at the end of the day, playoffs are a different time, and it brings out a different type of player. So, I'm I'm not I mean I I do believe that the Saints will probably get the W but I don't think that it's going to be as easy as we are thinking right now and that's what we're talking because 
it's the Carolina Panthers. And the simple fact is that you can't rule out a team that makes it to the playoffs. Point blank. Oh, I'm not leaving them out whatsoever. It's going to be a great game. No question. Well, the Saints are the better team. They've proven it. You know? Yeah. We'll be entertaining, though, nonetheless. Will be entertaining nonetheless. This game will be, this game will be entertaining. Um, but will the all SEC college football playoff be entertaining? A couple of defensive-minded head coaches going up against each other. But we're a little bit ahead of schedule here, so I think we're going to take a little bit of break. A little bit of a break. We might work in previewing next weekend, Saturday, um, divisional playoff matchups. Uh, I'm going to look those up now, actually, to see what those matchups are going to be. I believe Philadelphia, the number one seed, they will host Atlanta because they're the lowest remaining seed in the NFC playoffs. Um, And and let's see, uh, the AFC matchup from yesterday was uh, Tennessee-Kansas City. I think Tennessee's the lowest remaining seed. I believe they will go to Greenland. Is that right? Um, I think, yeah, yeah, okay. that is right. Because um, They didn't no, win their division. They're a wild card. They're a true wild card. So they've got to be the lowest remaining seed, right? They beat a division winner. They beat Kansas City. Yeah. So right. Jacksonville, if Jacksonville wins their game, then Jacksonville plays Pittsburgh. Then they'll get and Pittsburgh. Then, yeah. And if New Orleans wins their game, uh, they will get uh, the number two seed, Minnesota. Is that yeah, right? I believe that's correct. Well, I believe that's correct. Yeah, we'll find out. We'll find out. But the lowest remaining seed will face the top seed. The lowest remaining seeds, for what I could see, are Tennessee and Atlanta teams did not win their division. So the number one seeds get them, Philadelphia and um, Philadelphia and New England, respectively. So so we're going to talk. We'll probably mix that into the show um, after we talk about the college football playoff. We have some NBA stuff as well. The Lakers recent nosedive, the Thunders rise. Uh, Patrick's MMA report uh, focusing on Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey torturer Holly Holm specifically, and Chris Cyborg. Uh, one of his interviews like the Cyborg in the Terminator movies. It's going to be interesting to hear what Patrick has to say about that. So we're coming back with the college football playoff. We're coming back with the MMA report. Uh, preview of uh, the divisional NFL divisional playoff Saturday. We'll preview Sunday's game on Sunday because we go on before those games begin. And we'll get into some NBA stuff as well with the final hour of the show. You are listening to the Dallas Sports Radio Show on Radio AFS. Don't go anywhere. Rain ain't falling out of the blue sky Sun shines on your face Baby, the way that you're looking at me Something's taking place It's like hurricanes and a lightning strike Perfect song.
perfect storm. At Midwest IT Support Help Desk, we believe that technology should support and enhance your organization's success, not constrain it. With our wide range of best-in-class services, we provide customized solutions that fit your unique IT needs. We are committed to excelling at our job so you can focus on doing yours. Midwest IT Support Help Desk is always available. Providing your organization with professional remote help desk support services you need Midwest IT Support Help Desk will solve your technology issues day or night. Our IT staff ensures that your network and computers are up to date and ready for operation on a daily basis. Don't wait until problems occur. Let our organization solve them with our monitoring software, giving you the peace of mind you need. Let us do the worrying for you. Enabling your workforce with top-notch technologies isn't just important, but imperative for business success. This customizable solution allows your team to work seamlessly and collaboratively in a protected space. No matter what IT services you need, Midwest IT Support Help Desk will be there to support you every step of the way. Midwest IT Support Help Desk. We are committed to excelling at our job so you can focus on doing yours. Please visit www.midwestitsupport.com for more information. Or shoot us an email at helpdesk at midwestitsupport.com. Give us a call, 765-239-9668. Welcome back to the Dire Sports Radio Show on Radio AFS. I'm your host, Steve Etzkoch, here with co-host Patrick Tuhaney. Before we get into the college football playoff matchup between the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs, we're going to have Patrick come in here and uh, give his uh, MMA boxer report on Holly Holm and Chris Seiberg. What's going on there with the Ronda Rousey torture and the guy that sounds like he should be in a Terminator movie as opposed to maybe in the Octagon? Yeah, you, you know what? This uh, this matchup, I randomly didn't even realize that it was going on until I saw the pay-per-view show up on the uh, 30th, right before the end of the year. So this is USC 219, and USC 219 was actually a lot better than I expected. Um, we had a couple of big names on the card. Uh, there was Carlos Condit fighting. There was uh, Nagamadoff fighting. Barboza was also fighting in that matchup. And then, of course, the main header of Chris Cyborg and Holly Holm. Um, just to start things off, the Carlos Condit and Neil Magini fight was a really good one. Um, it was kind of rough to see Carlos Condit performing the way that he did. He looked like he was in shape, but couldn't really do very much as far as Neil was concerned. It was a three-round fight that went to decision. Um, then moving forward, there was also another really good uh, women's fight that went down. It was between Cynthia Cavillo and Carla Esperanza. And uh, during the whole entire fight, Cynthia thought that she was winning the fight. She thought she was dominating. But 
uh, Carla was actually doing a lot of damage as far as controlling and making sure to go ahead and do what she needed to do to kind of split punches and dodge punches. And she ends up winning by decision as Cynthia was jumping around thinking that she won the fight. They called Carla's name and she won the fight. Um, then there was another great fight between Nagamanoff and Edison Barboza. That fight went to the very final round of it. Uh, Barboza was a really, really good competitor. He really did a great job. I've always seen him step up to the plate, but Nergamadov just beat this guy to a bloody pulp. I mean, from the first round, you could see the control. You could see the dominance. I mean, he controlled him 10 minutes out of the entire three-round fight. Um, and then also moving on, uh, this is going to be pretty short, but moving on to the Chris Cyborg and Holly Holm fight. That was a really good fight. I saw Holly Holm show a lot of determination and strength and just just confidence as far as her ability to fight. And Chris Cyborg, man, she is she's official. She delivered so many hard hits to Holly Holm's face. It was it was ridiculous. It was a really good fight, a really good five round fight that went to decision for Chris Cyborg, of course, but. I give all the credit in the world. Holly Holm is a really tough woman. She was able to handle a lot of punishment, and she also gave out a lot of punishment as well, too. Chris Cyborg did end up bleeding a little bit as far as from the nose, but Holly Holm definitely got the brunt of the entire fight because, I mean, she had a mouse over her eye after the second round, and she at one point in time started yelling as far as with her punches and kicks and concerns, trying to just get something going, but you know, hats off to Holly Holm for just going up against somebody who was a complete beast. And you can see the reason why Ronda Rousey was dodging a fight for Chris Cyborg because Chris Cyborg would have, have just decimated uh, decimated Ronda Rousey. And, um, you know, also kudos to Ronda Rousey. She's got a, uh, a new show that's going to be coming up that she's executive producing about fighters and them being underdogs in certain fights. So, you know, it seems like she's been able to make the transition from, you know, UFC star who doesn't know how to be a champion to now moving on to act, excuse me, to acting and possibly handling things with the movies. But once again, hats off to Holly Holm and Chris Cyborg. I don't see anybody beating Chris Cyborg at all. I, I've never seen a woman fight as well and as be so intimidating as Chris Cyborg has been. So. Great fight for 219. Uh, moving forward to uh, UFC 220, which is going to be, I believe, on the 30th. That is going to be a really impressive UFC because there's going to be so many different matchups that are going to occur. Felipe um, Miko is going to be fighting Francis Naugo, who is the hardest puncher in UFC history. That's going to be a championship heavyweight fight, so that's going to be really, really good to see. Uh, Daniel Cormier is going to be fighting that night as well, too. Um, we'll see if DC is able to go ahead and do the work that he has been able to do in previous fights to see if he's going to be able to bounce back from getting his face beaten by John Jones. But um, other than that, I don't really see any other big names on the card, but UFC 220 will be something to watch and should be a really, really good event. Yeah, you talked about uh, Ronda Rousey uh, trying to sidestep, uh, trying to avoid Holly Holm. It's too bad she could avoid that uh, Holly Holm kick in that yeah. fight. So then, when her head hit the uh, head, then when her head hit the floor, 
I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what was worth it. Flicked to her face or when her head hit the floor uh, before uh, before the fight was called and uh, Holly, Holmes had, uh, Holly Holm had won. Uh, so as bad, as much of a badass Holly Holm is, if Chris Cyborg to, uh, took Holly Holm out, then he must be a bigger person. It must be a bigger badass. Um, oh yeah, so um, absolutely. But yeah, Holly Holm, I know is tough because when I saw that fight, I was like, I thought Ronda Rousey, uh, you know, could have died after she hit the floor like that uh, after that kick, but uh, she didn't. And Lord knows she's been wanting to go to the Hollywood side. She uh, was a she was cameoed in the movie Entourage as Jerry Farrell. Oh yeah, love interest. Uh, oh, so, yeah. Um, you know, so she's got that going for herself now. Made plenty yeah, of money and uh, you know, established the women's side of USC, certainly. Uh, certainly the pioneer uh, of the UFC, or the female side of, uh, of UFC. So uh, she did what she needed to do and has moved on but um, and survived that fight against Holly Holm. I was just vicious what happened to her. So I can only imagine how good Chris Cyborg is. Yeah, Cyborg is no joke. But, yeah, um... Ronda Rousey's been in a couple of different movies. She was in the Expendables sequel, or uh, one of the Expendables sequels, and she was also in one of the Fast and Furious movies as well, too. So she's trying to make her around to break into Hollywood, but my best bet is that she's probably going to end up going to the wrestling side of things with WWE. So we shall see. And then also, going back to uh, boxing, there is a fight that's going to be coming up on the 27th with uh, Lucas Matisse versus T. Karim. Uh, T. Uh, T. Karim is 38-0 and 0 with 28 knockouts, so that's going to be a real test for uh, Lucas Matisse as well, too. So that kind of rounds out everything. There's nothing else really going on that I see that's uh, mentionable as far as I'm concerned. So. Yes, she's blown up. And Ronda Rousey in wrestling. Gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Hmm. That could be interesting. Um, well, there's interesting, and then there's something that may not be as interesting, but it is a reality. So we're going to talk about it now. The college football playoff matchup. All SEC, the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs. Coached by a couple of defensive-minded coaches and Nick Saban and his former employee, Kirby Smart. Can Kirby Smart do what another former Nick Saban assistant has done that's beat his former boss? There's... Oh, you know I'm riding Georgia all the way, baby. I'm so glad we made it back. Georgia? Georgia? Beautiful. Beautiful. I remember the movie um, um, Fled with Lawrence Fishburne and Stephen Baldwin where they escape from a prison and uh, they get caught by a hunter man and uh, Lawrence Fishburne has oh, yeah. still lynching brothers in Georgia. He's still lynching brothers in Georgia. I'm pretty sure that uh, Georgia wants to lynch Alabama, but good. Um, so, what do you think? Yeah, Georgia's going to definitely hold it down. I mean, that that team in general has just been able to go ahead and do a lot of greatness, and I don't see Georgia losing this game. I mean, with what they were able to do uh, against Oklahoma, and Oklahoma thought that they had the game won pretty much. Baker Mayfield was already dancing. You can see little highlight for him saying that it's over. And he did throw a pretty good game of doing 23 of 35, but Georgia's not. Georgia's not playing. Georgia's not playing. Georgia's going to be winning this game. I don't see anything as far as any shadow of a doubt. Jake Fromm has been playing pretty well. I think he's been a great game manager. And then also the rushing side of things with Sonny and Nick. 
Sonny and Nick have been able to dominate, and they're going to continue to go ahead and dominate. I don't see them having any problems running over this guy with defense. So I'm going Georgia all the way, as I called earlier. Thank you very much. And um, Clemson was trash out the gate. Terrible, terrible way to go out. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna beat you up anymore. I'm gonna let you live. I'm gonna let you breathe. But uh, yeah, Georgia's gonna win this game against Alabama. I don't have any doubt on that. Uh, I think that they're gonna be able to go ahead and dominate this team. So it's gonna well, be we'll a really, it's game, gonna be possible we'll, news for us. What makes this game tough to call is Alabama has a reputation. But Georgia plays physical on both sides of the ball. They have a really good defense. Now, mind you, it was not on display against Oklahoma. Uh, but Oklahoma's going to, you know, has Baker Mayfield, a Heisman Trophy winner, and uh, Jalen Hurts not quite at that level. Um, even against Clemson, his numbers were good, but not great. Um, they just, Alabama's defense just shut down Clemson's offense. Tony Bryant couldn't do anything. Georgia plays physical on yep. both sides of the ball. Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle are the key to that team. Jay Fromm is a good game manager, but if uh, but if Alabama manages to contain Sony Michelle and and Nick Chubb, that puts the head that puts the ball into the hands of a freshman quarterback. Not the best scenario for Georgia uh, against Alabama, um, and I think Alabama might be missing. Uh, there's an injury to one of their linebackers. I'm trying to remember what uh, what his uh, what his name is. So, uh, and that's why I thought Clemson was going to win. Is I thought Alabama's defense coming in a little banged up, a little young. Uh, you know, they could be had, but uh, that was never the case. So Alabama is going to try to stop the running game and make Jake Fromm be more than just a game manager. Make him be the reason why they either win or lose the game. And that's going to be easier said than done. Uh, then Georgia's defense on the other side. So I think Georgia has a chance to win this game if they run the football um, and not make Jane Prom, uh, not put Jake Fromm in a position where he's either going to be the hero or the goat of the game. I think the hero has to be the running game because that running game ran all over Oklahoma's defense, but Oklahoma was able to uh, pass against um, against Georgia's defense, even though Georgia is very good defensively against the run and and against the um and against the pass. So uh that was a great game by the way. Wow. I don't look for that in this particular game. These are a couple of defensive minded teams. So I think the defenses will be ahead of the offenses and I think whoever wins will score just enough uh to get over the top here. Um yeah we're not we're not gonna see we're not gonna see Georgia so and Oklahoma gonna, again. Gonna we're not gonna see another game of Alabama. I'm gonna pick Alabama only because Nothing in the last three weeks of the regular season. You know, Auburn beats Alabama <laughs> and then chokes against Georgia. Clemson chokes against uh, against Alabama, a team that they beat two times previously. And arguably with the best defensive line in the country, they couldn't beat Alabama. This is just not going the way people expect. It's not going logically. It's not going by way of chalk. So I'm going to pick Alabama to win the game just because that would make sense in a, in a, in a, within the last five weeks that haven't made sense. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I, I see the committee, they put Alabama in controversially. Everyone's saying, no, it should have been Ohio State or USC or whatever the case may be. And Alabama wins the national championship. This season is not proportional by any stretch of the imagination. Things are happening. And when you say things are happening, it means things are happening that we don't expect. So – 
George, picking Georgia makes a lot of sense because they play physical on both sides of the ball, and they match up well with Alabama. Yeah, but and then, Alabama has the Alabama has the fortune of playing in a season that, quite frankly, has just not made sense. You know, and well, sometimes well, it just keeps going. Every season, every season has got uh, a characteristic about it. The characteristic of this season is that it just hasn't made sense, particularly in the last month. Go ahead. Well, going going back to what you were saying, I, I can't believe you're picking out of them. I think that's crazy. I think you you. you... I mean, picking Alabama is crazy against Clemson. This isn't Clemson, you know. Yeah, but you pick you pick Clemson. It's it's something else. Something else. Something else entirely. So it's not as crazy as you think. Yeah, but you picked Clemson to win that though. You thought Clemson was going to be able to dominate, man. And that's right. I'm giving Alabama credit. I'm giving Alabama credit. You know, no credit. No credit should be given. Nah, no credit. They did it easily. That, I guess that, it wasn't even a close game. I mean, Alabama dominated. Clemson shot themselves in the foot with that game, point blank. That that was Clemson's game to lose. Uh, that's my. So going back to Alabama, let's look at this team. Alabama currently has five players that are out on injury right now. One of them being yeah, Alabama. I, Mars, I, another I one recognize. Being I recognize that. I just don't know who those guys are. So. <laughs> So, so looking at that, look, looking at that in general, anytime you have that amount of injuries to a team, even if we're not even going to take into the fact of their playing ability and what they bring or contribute to the team, you have five injuries on a team. That alone is going to deplete and make that team weak in some way, shape, or form, whether it's offense, defense, or special teams. Looking at that, right? So, and the guy that you mentioned for Georgia, that was uh, Rashad Roundtree, which is a big injury, which is a big loss. That's the yeah, that's the guy, but. But the thing is, is that when you look at the rest of this team offensively and defensively as far as the defensive back unit is concerned, they're still a really formidable team all, uh, on the other side of the ball. So, I that mean, they are. I don't, I, and as far as containing Nick and Sonny, I don't think that anybody is going to be able to do that because both of these guys have rushed for over 1,000 yards so far this season. I think uh, – Sonny's eleven hundred and and Chubb is over there somewhere around maybe twelve or thirteen hundred. So even if you stop one, you're not going to be able to stop the other because they have that change of pace with both backs. That alone is going to go ahead and give the team the edge to win this out. So I I, I don't I don't see I, I just don't see Georgia giving up this game right now. They lost the game earlier, which was understandable, but they are they are on a mission to win and. I think that they're going to win the championship on Monday. I don't think there's going to be a shadow of a doubt on that. But okay. if I am wrong, I'm, I'm willing to say that I'm wrong, but not likely going to happen. Let it be known that I hope Georgia wins the game too. Okay. I'm just, you know, right. I, I'm just not a, not a fan of uh, Alabama. I'm not a fan of, uh, even though I respect him as a coach, he's just so petulant, so unhappy, and so intense. It's like enjoy your success, you know. So it's that time. Yeah. Even after the Patriots won last year, you saw a certain amount of joy in Bill Belichick's face when he did that interview. I was like, wow, that's yeah, a lot of Bill Belichick I never saw. I never saw it before. But with Nick Saban, yeah, so, it's just uh, like, eh, you know, the crusty old curmudgeon, you know. So I, I let it be known that I hope Georgia wins. So I can't lose either way. My pick is right or Georgia beats Alabama. So I can't go wrong. But um, so let that be known. But um, 
Yeah, I'm just I'm just astounded at how these playoffs, uh, you know, how the uh, how this has gone over the last several weeks, in which just so many things happen that just seemed out of proportion to me. So, so we'll see what happens. But it's a really good matchup. Yeah. Um, a couple of very physical teams, and again, I don't look for it to be like the Rose Bowl uh, with uh, with uh, Georgia and with Oklahoma and Clemson and fireworks. I look for the game to be like that. Because the yeah. defense are just too damn good. So let that happen. So we will see what happens. Whew. We have discussed a lot in this show so far, and we've got 39 minutes left. The show is um going on at a nice, easy pace. We are yeah. cooking. Cooking. So... Um, I think we have time to work in previewing divisional playoff, NFL divisional playoff Saturday. We can preview the Sunday games on Sunday. Leave that for next week. Uh, But there is Saturday. So, as we established before, Philadelphia will host Atlanta. Atlanta is being a team that wants to prove that last year's Super Bowl run is no fluke. Philadelphia desperately wanting to get back to the Super Bowl to try to win it behind arguably having the best trenches in the entire league, offensive line, defensive line. I don't know if Jason Peters is back for Philadelphia on the offensive line. Uh, if he is, good for Philadelphia. But they have a backup quarterback, Nick Foles, who after he took over from Michael Vick when Andy Reid was still in Philadelphia and threw for 27 touchdowns and two interceptions that year. Then he goes to the Rams and pulls up like a 10 over there, and now he's back in Philadelphia uh, as the backup quarterback to Carson Wentz, who injured his NCL at the end of the year and was put on into reserve ending his year. And a lot of people questioning, can Philadelphia get to the Super Bowl now, which I think they can because the way they play in the trenches, that's huge. As long as Nick Foles doesn't make a lot of mistakes. But Nick Foles has struggled. Uh, so... And Atlanta comes in playing with house money. They just wanted the Coliseum to win. They're going to come in and play the same way. And if they can win the football against Philadelphia, which would be something done, then uh, look out. Um, but, of course, there is a matter to consider that it's going to be much colder in Philadelphia than it's going to be the Rams. So there's a lot of factors in this game uh, that both teams are going to have to deal with. The Philadelphia with a backup quarterback, Atlanta playing out in the cold against a team that plays very, very well defensively and is much better against the run than the Rams are. So it's an interesting game, and it's a tough game to call. So I'm going to go to you, Patrick. Who do you think this game tilts in favor of and why? So let me, let me, uh, let me just go ahead and fire back with a quick question. Do you think that Nick Foles is going to be able to lead this team consistently without having any type of turnovers? Because I personally don't think so. I, okay. I personally don't think that I personally don't think that Nick Foles is going to be the one to actually lead this team and be able to facilitate this game the way that Carson Wentz was able to. But um, I, I just want to get your get your thought process on Nick Foles' possibility before I give my pick. What do you think about Nick well, Foles as far as a quarterback as a whole? Well, here's the thing, Nick Foles. You know, we've seen so many teams win when they had a quarterback that was good enough. Trent Dilfer and the Ravens back in 2000. Oh. Brad Johnson oh, God, back in 2003. And oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Jeff Hospitler, when he took over for Phil Sims 
before the Giants beat the Super Bowl, beat the Bills in Super Bowl 25 in the Rose Bowl back at, way back in 1991 when I graduated high school. Hey, Backup quarterbacks man, have dude. won in the NFL. It's not an impossible thing because – and by the way, and this is why we need to stop making this a quarterback-driven league. We pay so much attention to the quarterback, they don't play every position on the field. That's not fair. Even with Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz had a really good year, but his numbers were not as good as Drew Brees or Tom Brady. Their trenches got the least of the headlines, and that was a big reason. And when they and when they acquired Jay Ajay, who's huge in this game, if Jay Ajay runs the football, the Nick Foles does not have to carry this team. And you can run on that Atlanta defense. So Jay Ajay is big in this game, along with how many plays on the trenches on both sides of the ball. So if they run the football well and Nick Foles does not make mistakes, to your point, yeah, uh, you know he what? can lead that. He, he can be. He can help them win a Super Bowl. You might not lead them there, like Peyton Manning did not lead the Broncos to their last Super Bowl as a defense. You don't just need to be led by a quarterback. You just need a quarterback yeah, that doesn't but, make mistakes. Yeah, so that's my that's, feeling. That's, can that's, they do it? Yeah, will they do it? I don't know. I, I'm with you in that. I, I don't know if I trust Nick Foles. I don't. And if Jason yeah, Peters is not there, compromises their offensive line just a little bit against an Atlanta defense that is going to get after. Nick Foles, not the most quarter, not the most mobile quarterback in the world. So they're going to get after him. Well, so Atlanta's got to sound this game in terms of the pass rush, and they have a good pass rush. Um, not a very good secondary, but that's a whole other story. So uh, will will Nick Foles do it? I don't know. I'm kind of with you there. Can he do it? Sure. Why not? Been done before. I don't. I don't think so. I don't have any faith in Nick Foles as far as that's concerned, especially after that game that he had against Dallas where they didn't even score a touchdown. I, I don't think so. Jay Ajahi is a really good running back when he has a really good offensive line to run behind, and the Eagles' offensive line has been questionable, which is part of the reason why Carson Wentz got injured in the first place. So I'm going to go ahead and say that the Eagles will fall apart and Atlanta will continue to move on through the NFC Championship. I think that the the Eagles have a a pretty decent defense. I think that they have a really good, solid defense that they didn't have previously. But the problem is is that Jay Ajahi is someone who needs to get the ball consistently in order for him to get going. That's what we saw in Miami where he had that incredible year last year. And we have not seen very much from Jay Ajahi this whole entire season, even after the acquisition that they got for him. So, Looking at those things and factoring those into play, they're going to be able to go ahead and do enough to beat this Atlanta team, unfortunately. I think that Philadelphia is going to fall. I think that they're going to falter. I don't think that Nick Foles is going to be able to deliver the ball like Carson Wentz was able to as far as with making Nelson Aguilar look great, as far as with making Alshon Jeffries look great, as far as making Zach Hurts look great. I don't think that he's going to be able to deliver that ball the way it needs to be delivered. And, you know, also looking at the coaching staff, I don't think that they've been able to – I don't think that they know how to change gears from being a pass offensive balanced team to now – or to, to, from being a pass first team to being a balanced team where they're able to both pass and short downage and also go ahead and run the ball more consistently. I don't think that Doug Pendleton has been able to do that as far as the coaching staff is concerned. So I think that the Eagles are definitely going to fall apart at home, unfortunately. And they've had a tremendously great season, but I just don't see them being able to put it together against this Atlanta team. Well, Patrick, guess what? I'm going to agree with you. <laughs> hey, I think 
maybe try, one thing I know is that Philadelphia is going to need to run the football to protect Foles, but also to keep Atlanta's offense getting cold on the sidelines. Um, that much I know. If, if you know, again, that balance running the ball as much as you pass. Philadelphia absolutely needs to do that in this game. And Atlanta needs to keep running the football. The best thing to do in cold weather is to be able to run the football. If they can run the football like they did against the Rams, then Philadelphia is going to be in trouble. And Phil, and they are going to go after Nick Foles with the pass rush, especially if Jason Peters is not in there. You have a point about Carson Wentz in the offensive line. Obviously, that has been really good, but um, without Carson Wentz, it's going to be tough. So I'm with you. I think Atlanta's going to win this game. And, oh, by the way, during the divisional round, during the divisional playoffs, there's always one game, one upset that no one sees coming. This could be that game. You know, always one game that just goes away when people turn around and go, what the hell happened there? It could be this yeah. particular game. Uh, so I'm with you. I think Atlanta's going to move on, believe it or not, as long as they can run the football in that cold weather and not rely on the passing game that has been good this year, not great, like it was last year under Kyle Shanahan before he bolted for San Francisco. But it's good, and when it gets untracked because they run the football, that's when it's really, really tough because they have a lot of weapons over there. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think Atlanta's going to win this game. It's a crazy pick. Yeah. Uh, backup quarterback and an offensive line that is slightly compromised. Might just be enough for Atlanta to go in there and pull the victory. And now they know they can win on the road. They're not going to be afraid. You know, they know they can go into a tough environment and win. Just a matter of how they handle that cold weather and can Philadelphia keep uh, Carolina's off or um, Atlanta's offense on the sideline uh, by running the football with Jai and allowing Nick Foles to uh, not have to be either the hero or the goat of the game. The hero of this yeah. game is going to be Jai combined with their offensive and uh, defensive lines. That's the strength of this team. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. But I like also, Atlanta. I'm with you. Also, another 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 factor that may come into play as well with that Eagles running game is McGarrett Blunt. I forgot that he was on that team as well, too. So he'd be another factor as far as seeing if this team either makes it or not. goal line guy. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I just don't see it. I mean, McGarrett Blunt has two touchdowns on the year. Jay Jahi has one. So – you look at stuff like that, it just doesn't doesn't seem like it's a good idea as far as the team being the one that's at all. So we shall see. We shall see. But I just, yeah, I'm definitely. I just want to go ahead. No, I'm sorry. You go ahead. I've, oh no, I, I just noticed something here that. Yeah, no, I was I was just saying that just just re reaffirming what I was basically saying is just that the fact that this this, this is going to be a real difficult game to go ahead and see the Eagles win. I mean, it's possible, but do I see it happening? No, I, I just I just don't. Stranger things have happened in the NFL playoffs, but. I hope this game is nothing like that LSU-Alabama game several years ago. I just sort of note here in the championship game preview between Alabama and Georgia, the 2011 All-ACC finally was a rematch from the regular season with LSU having edged Alabama 9-6 to in a battle of field goals. Oh, God, yeah. if any of these games are like this, I swear to God, I'll never watch a football game ever again in my life. Uh, 
That's, that's possible. Yeah, do you remember that, that game? How it, that is, that is, the game yeah. of the century. It'd be like the game of the century as a precursor is you saying you know exactly what's going to happen. Honestly, that's when you got to turn your head around to face, you know, front as opposed to back because you're just crazy. You're sideways. Describing it as the game of the century before it's actually But I tell people this. Don't put the cart in front of the horse. Boy, they a lot of people look bad after that game, calling that the game of the century. That was anything. Okay, yeah. actually, it was the game of the century, but as usual, it's an incomplete thought. The worst game of the century. If they had said that, perfect, because it was. <laughs> uh, but game of the century implies, oh, man, this game is going to be so memorable. I, you know what? Actually, it was memorable in a bad way. I just wish people were a little bit more thorough, you know, get you know, be, be a little bit more thorough, you know, cover those gaps, you know, cover, they say cover your ass, cover those gaps. It was the worst game of the century. And yeah. Memorable. And that's, so. that's something that's ongoing. Nobody's, nobody's taking care of what they need to take care of. It's becoming more of a, well, society as a whole is becoming more of a society that doesn't really pay attention to detail. And it's very quick to go ahead and point stuff out that may not be true. So we're going well, back. The game of the forward. century. Georgia, Alabama will be the game of the century. They're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope the game doesn't turn out like that. Nine to six, a battle of football. And people will be like, man, the SEC should not allow it to be in a college football playoff whatsoever. They should have their own college football playoff, seriously. Called the SEC they were the biggest host and the bigger cash stake. You know, just, 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 just get it over with. Um, Oh, what a bad game that was. I think I watched the first half and then turned it off. Um, NBA stuff. Ding, ding, ding. I have no idea. A Saturday night showcase? Like putting the semifinal college football playoff games on New Year's Eve. I mean, is that, is that, okay, so you're trying to be clever, but just be right. Just see what it is. Putting NBA games, I showcase a game on Saturday night is acknowledging that, uh, is you not acknowledging that Saturday night is a night where people are going out. Might not be at home watching TV, so uh, it's better to showcase your game on Sunday, I think, which is the top TV watching day of the week, followed by Thursday. Uh, so I don't know why the NBA keeps going to these Saturday Night Showcase games. I don't think the ratings are there. Uh, or is they could get the ratings, as much of the ratings as they could, putting it on Sunday as opposed to Saturday night, which is a night of people going out. Um, why do you think they have those Saturday Showcase games? Um, actually, I, I think that I think the opposite point on that. I mean, typically on the nights when I have gone out on a Saturday myself and been at a bar, I mean, Normally, you'll see if there's not really very much conversation going on in the bar as far as people, you know, going back and forth and bouncing ideas off of one another or, or you know, men and women trying to manipulate each other to be in certain situations to get drinks from one another, you can easily just go ahead and look up and catch a really good game. And there have been times when I've actually been looking up and said, oh, well, wow, you know, the Clippers are out here playing and they're actually doing a really good job or, you know, there's an amazing play that happens. I mean, 
typically on a Saturday night, most people are going out, but the TVs are still available or still on display in certain facilities or venues that you go to. So having it to that point, I think the NBA is banking on that fact, especially with the whole Thursday night games, uh, the Thursday night games that they do come on as well too. Like, I mean, NBA has so many games that I don't think that they're going to be hurting in ratings or hurting in, in the telecast as far as that's concerned just because of the simple fact there's always basketball on after the Super Bowl. And I think it's after January 20th is when we're going to see the real heavy bump as far as um, Saturday. Is it Saturday morning games that usually go on or is it Sunday morning games? No, it's Saturday morning games, I believe, that usually happen. So, I mean, I don't think that the NBA is missing any money as far as what they're doing right now. I think it's a good thing, personally. I'll, I'd much rather go ahead and catch a random game on a Saturday night when I'm drinking my, my scotch or my whiskey and look up and see, oh, okay, wow, the Warriors are playing and they're actually losing. Which ain't going to happen, but, you know, they're actually losing now. Great, awesome. You know, so I'll take that. I'll take the NBA doing that. Hell, give me more games on the weekend. Because I'm prone to watching more games on the weekend than I am during the week with just everything that goes on with, you know, kids, life, work. You know, it's a busy Monday through Friday that I think society is built on, and I think that's another reason why the NBA is doing that as well, too. So, you know, what get, if, if anything, what day do you think would be ideal, ideal for Sunday. the NBA to go ahead and touch? Sunday? You, th- you really Sunday. think that Sunday would be Top a good TV day? Top TV watch a day of the week, and Sunday is just like Saturday, and then most people have that day off, too. I, your point Ooh. is we'll take it about bars, you know, people watching games in bars. I get that. I do that too. But what do you think there's more of in this country, bars or houses, residences? Well, yeah, of course. But I'm the amount of residences. time that people – of course, obviously. That, that's, that's, that's an easy statement to, to make. Of course, there are, more, there are more houses and more people that are going to be sitting at home watching TV. But in more cases than not, if you look at it, Women, couples in general are not going to want to sit down and watch basketball on a Sunday. Typically, Sunday is more so a family day, which is the reason why the NFL does their thing where they have two different or three different time spots. You have the morning game, you have the midday game, and then you have the afternoon to late game. So you have those three different time slots where football could be watched. Typically with basketball, it's one time slot and it's done. And usually with the having that one time slot on a Sunday, you have to get prepared for Monday. So you have, let's say you have a family. you got to get in line for them to go ahead and be ready to go to school on Monday. you got to get yourself in line to get ready to go to work on Monday. And your, your significant other has to do the same thing as well, too. Or even if you're taking the single dynamic to it. If you have somebody who's gone out on a Saturday night and been drinking all night and they get home, they're not going to wake up to watch that that Sunday morning game, especially if they're not a devoted NBA fan. So looking at that factor, I think that on a Sunday morning they would lose more fans, if not maybe even being Sunday able to afternoon, go ahead and actually. Okay, you have well, the game on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. afternoon. I would say you have the game on Sunday afternoon, closer to Sunday evening, after the church and brunch hours have uh, have exhausted themselves. You know, people go to brunch, people go to church. Um, okay. So I would say Sunday afternoon to Sunday but it's Saturday evening. You have the same problem, you know, because people going out, but also regular season NBA basketball with all these three point shooting, not as good as it used to be. I prefer the old way, inside out, fast breaks, inside out to the center, you know, like Colonel Bill Jabbar going out, reversing the ball, so on and so forth. You don't see that in the NBA anymore, so the product is not as good. 
And Saturday well, we're, night we're, is not a good TV viewing night, you know, for most residences. So that's why well, I question NBA, that line of thinking. Well, the NBA itself is starting to sway to a more Euro-style league play anyway. So that's part of the reason why you're not seeing a lot of banging and, and cutting and slashing like we used to see back in the that day. Guys so, want to preserve yeah. their careers by not going inside. You know, you take less of a beating when you play on the perimeter. You know, so um, that's, someone asked me about that. I said, why do you why do you think you know it's that way? And I say, I think well, your Euro style of play is a good point, but also guys are not taking the same level of punishment on the perimeter as they are going inside. Longer careers, yeah. more money, more endorsements, so on and so forth. Career preservation, yeah, we, we, I think that's a big part of it as well. Soft league. We're in the soft league. We're in the soft era of the NBA. So hopefully we get out of this, but it's not going to happen anytime soon until we have bullies and people running, willing to go ahead and lay it on the line and give a, a nice forearm to the face. You know, and go back to the whole thing. Give me, give me, give well, me maybe the not that. Maybe, maybe, maybe not that bad, but inside out basketball, what Dr. James Day Smith intended with the game of basketball, you know, because right now it's outside in and, you know, life begins on the inside out, you know, if, if you've read enough or if you've read enough, you've been around long enough, you would know that. But the NBA right now is the exact opposite. So, and yeah, it's not going anywhere anytime soon, but the league is cyclical. The league is Boy. cyclical. Hell, even running backs are making a comeback in the NFL degree. Now running backs are getting more value in the NFL. And look at all the running backs that are going to be coming out of the college uh, or that of the NFL draft. You know, this is going to be oh, yeah. a running back heavy, uh, a running back heavy draft with Bryce Love and Saquon Barkley and and the kid yeah. from San Diego State. I forget what his name is. And the uh, and the uh, Lockheed Martin Bowl uh, against Navy was amazing. So. Um, Things make a comeback, so maybe the inside-out game, the NBA will make a comeback eventually. Yep, and we better pick up a winning back in the offseason because I don't think Carlos Hyde, unfortunately, is going to stay with us. So maybe Saquon Barkley, who knows, or uh, Bryce Love. Uh, we'll see. But uh, the Niners have some options. But uh, winning those five games in a row kind of pushed our draft position back. But um, I'm the teams before us need quarterbacks. The teams before us need quarterbacks for the most part. So we will see. Except maybe the Colts. The Colts might be an issue because I think they like Jacoby Brissett. They may take Barkley uh, to be his running back. So we'll see. Or the Niners could trade out. We'll see. Yeah, that's a definite possibility. And we'll talk about the NFL draft if it gets closer and try to project, you know, the uh, the first 10, 15 picks, whatever the case may be. Because the NFL draft is all about the first round and nothing else. Uh, yeah. Or who might get picked later in the draft, you know, who might be a, a Russell Wilson or a Dak Prescott, someone that gets picked after the first two rounds and has some success in the NFL. So we could figure that out as well as who that guy might be quarterback, running back, or otherwise, um, and talk about what each team needs. So as a matter of fact, over the several weeks after the NFL season ends, we're going to look at all the teams and say what they need to do either to return to the playoffs next year and make a Super Bowl run or just get into the playoffs. We will do that after the season ends because the NFL playoffs will give us plenty to talk about as it goes forward along with the NBA and baseball. Uh, it's going to start to heat up as well. So, But after the uh, football season ends, we're going to look at every single team and figure out what they need to do to either get into the playoffs return, or return to the playoffs and make a Super Bowl run. So yeah. look forward to that no, in the next uh, – look forward to that coming up in February after the Super Bowl. Yeah. 
So going back to basketball, I got a quick question. What do you think about the Memphis Grizzlies being the second worst team in the Western Conference right now? Do you think that they're going to be able to Say bounce back once they get my title? Memphis, the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are currently the 14th seed in the Western Conference right now. I know that Mike Conley well, was I injured they... for a moment in time. Yeah. So what do you? Well, uh... you don't think they? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm too quick. Sometimes. I was just saying, you know, no, it's all good. It's all, don't apologize. It's all good. But um, do you think that this team is going to be able to bounce back and possibly make a playoff run like they have been able to do consistently throughout the years? This season? No. Mm-hmm. They had a worse record than the Lakers coming in. Mike Conley is hurt right now. Marcus Gasol, not quite the same. Zach Randolph is gone. They're trying to recreate themselves. And, oh, yeah, they fired, um, what's his name, David? Um, the head coach, take that for data. Um, yeah. He's in the boot now. They they pulled the trigger on that really quickly, which I thought was questionable. I thought it was a knee-jerk reaction by the organization firing him. Um, no, they're not going to get to playoffs this year. They're recreating themselves. They want to be more athletic. You know, you're Tyreek Evans on that team out of Kentucky. More athletic point guard dominated the Lakers in that game, by the way. They're trying to recreate themselves at this point. I feel like it's going to take some time. They're not going to be the power team anymore. I mean, the NBA, you've got to be able to shoot the three. You've got to be athletic. You've got to be able to get out on the, on the break a little bit. Um, and that's what Memphis is trying to do. But they have a new head coach in there, a lot of new players that they're trying to break in. Conley is hurt right now. So, no, I don't look for them to make the playoffs this year or maybe even next year. Depending on what they Ooh, do in free agency, wow, Memphis is not exactly and Memphis is not exactly a hot free agent spot right now. I don't know what their cap situation is, but Memphis, where the barbecue is amazing, been there, and they have a good jazz team as well. Not exactly a hotbed of sports uh, per se, even with the Grizzlies in town. Uh, that's more of a college football area, Lord knows. And University of Memphis was a good season last year, and we'll see what happens with Tennessee with the University of Tennessee over in Knoxville, but. Um. Yeah, I, I I think Memphis is going to be down for a minute here because uh, I feel like they're trying to recreate themselves, and it's going to take time. Playoffs this year? Playoffs? Playoffs? You just hope that they can win enough games to make the season respectable. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Memphis is in transition at this point, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, what I, about I, you? I, I agree with that. No, I agree with that. I think that Memphis is definitely in a rebuilding phase right now. Um, I think that they may be able to pick up a possible free agent, maybe to go ahead and really take that team off for next year to compete. But I, I just maybe looking so. at Memphis and just looking at Memphis and seeing what they've what they've done over the past couple of years. I mean, it's been incredible. It's been something that's really been good. But you know, that Mike Connolly injury and with them having no timetable for that, I mean, if he's possibly able to come back after the All-Star break, they can maybe go on a run. But it's um, they're going to need to go ahead and pick up somebody, though. They're going to need to pick up a free agent and free agents fast, and I think that's the one thing that they need to be looking into if they want even if they want to even be able to compete in the in the West. But, I mean, why not bring back a, a guy like, uh, let's see here, uh, He's currently Leandro Barbosa. Barbosa is a current free agent right now. He's available. That would be a pretty good pick for them. You know, they can go ahead and have somebody run the ball. Um, they could possibly make a trade. I know that the Lakers are pretty stacked up as far as the point guard position is concerned, so they could probably bring somebody in. Or even bring in Monte Ellis. 
Monte Ellis is a free agent right now. He would be able to go ahead and be a spark. Monte Ellis right is now. not in Dallas so, anymore? He's not playing with him. I don't – no, I don't think so. Let me, let me just double-check wow. that, but Monte Ellis. Amazing. Yeah. I think that when Monte Ellis was playing with Steph Curry in Golden State, then uh, they gave Wonder what yeah, happened Monte there. It's really been a really good shooter. Nothing else, but um, we'll see. They need shooters over there. That's for sure. They need, uh, they need guys that could uh, stick the three and get to the free throw line. So we're not looking at right now, except for Conley. Conley's the one guy that can do that. But it's hard for him to do yeah. it by himself. Uh, he needs help. So um, yep. that's Memphis right now. But uh, the Lakers are even, are even in a worse nosedive. They haven't won since before Christmas. Um, they've been killed by Charlotte the other day after beating Charlotte Rose as part of that four-game uh, trip in which they started out 2-0 and then dropped the last two, and that's when the tailspin began. Um, I mean, what do we make of the Lakers at this point? You know, it's supposed to be a season of hope where they're going to look as good as possible to free agents. you got guys worried about their status on the team, a lot of trade rumors, Um you know, Magic Johnson and Rob Lincoln have been very open about their desire to bring in a couple of big-name free agents in the offseason, and guys have been affected like that, guys like Brandon Ingram. Um, not Kyle Kuzma so much, but uh, Brandon Ingram's been affected by it. Julius Randle's been affected by it. So what do we make of this team at this point? It seems like they're completely discombobulated. Can they turn it around and make the season somewhat respectable? Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. The season's done. I don't see this team being able to bounce back. Even though Kuzma is a really great point, a uh, really good guard as far as that's concerned, our guard slash forward, I don't see this team being able to bounce back. They're too far gone. I mean, being at the bottom of the of the Western Conference right now and going on a nine-game losing streak, you, you're pretty much – Taking yourself out of out of NBA contention as far as being able to make a run towards the playoffs, so I think that there's going to need to be some restructuring. And like I said originally, the one thing that I was concerned with is the lineup changes that Luke Walton runs and the starting lineup and how he does his transitions as far as bringing people in and putting people down. And as you can see, this is a major issue and a major problem. I mean. You you look at them as far as their lineups are concerned, and every couple of games they're just switching the starting lineup. You can't do that. You can't do that to players because not only are players losing confidence in themselves and their ability to play, what they can do, what they can provide to the team, but you're also sending a statement to the rest of the locker room saying that just because you start today doesn't mean that you're going to start tomorrow. Just because you have a great game doesn't mean that you're going to be a formidable player to go ahead and really lead this team. So. I think that it's going to start when this team will start clicking when they finally have some cemented roles as far as starting point guards, starting shooting guards, starting three, four, and five. I mean, until they have that solidified and locked down, you're going to see all kinds of randomness coming from this team. So, you know, originally we were all hyped up to see what this team was going to be able to do with Lonzo Ball playing decent here and there. And we thought that this team was going to be able to put it together, but Sure enough, we're starting to see exactly what it is. And unfortunately, it's like the team just doesn't seem like they're ready to make that transition into being a playoff team where they can compete with one another. I mean, even when you have guys such as, you know, Jordan Clarkson, Jordan Clarkson should be getting a lot more minutes than what he gets. You know, Larry Nance Jr. should be getting a lot more minutes than what he gets. 
Brandon Ingram should need about another 20 or 30 pounds to be put on him, and he's going to be a formidable person. So there's a lot of upside towards the future, but in the present right now, uh, the Lakers are just they're, – they're exciting for some games, but not all. Well, you know what? I heard someone say that, and I forget who said this. Uh, that was interesting. If you have a young team that is losing a lot of games at once, it means you're not getting much from your veterans. I think that's absolutely right. Brook Lopez hasn't had a very good year, and he's been out of the lineup lately. Um, Andrew Bogut just got put on waivers, doing nothing. Yep. The Lakers are worse with him in the game than out of the game. Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope has played fairly well. Um, he's not a veteran veteran on the team. He hasn't been around a long time, but he's certainly been around longer than Kuzma, Ingram, Ball. And, uh, and Randall uh, and Clarkson. So it's, you know, he's done okay. But uh, that's what the Lakers need because the Lakers will have another lottery pick this year, it looks like. So they're going to get even younger. But we've got to bring some impact veterans in here that can make a difference, you know, uh, that could uh, that could help get these guys to the next level. Because if they have to try to get to the next level themselves, it's going to end with, with Luke Walden's, you know, uh, rotations being what they are. It's going to take much longer, and the Lakers have already been on the playoffs for the past four years, going on five. It's not the way it's supposed yeah. to be. So uh, we have got to bring in some impact veterans, some difference-making veterans around this particular team, and then this team can get to another level. But in the meantime, what I think they need to do is be accountable for, to themselves and not worry about the Lakers' business plans. It's out of their control because the Lakers are one of 30 teams in the NBA. If you're not with the Lakers, you could be somewhere else. Don't worry about yeah. it. These guys are in the league for a reason. Just go out there and play and be accountable to your, uh, to yourself and to the team and do the best you can, and everything will work out just fine. To be worried about your status on the team, that's not where your status is. Your status in the league is way more important. And I know playing for the Lakers can be very, very special. I get that. Uh, it's a glamour franchise of the NBA, no question about it. Even when the Lakers are bad, they're still interesting. Don't worry about it. But, but at the end of the day, you have, to, you have to see the big picture if you're a Brandon Ingram or Julius Randle or Jordan Clarkson and understand that if you're not playing with the Lakers, chances are you'll be playing with somebody else. So just go out there, play, do the best you can, and everything will work out just fine. And then you well, get to buy the rest of the year and play better than you have, and then we can go from there, getting some better difference makers in there, which the Lakers absolutely need. I get what you're saying as far as that is concerned, and, and maybe worrying more about your status as far as the NBA as a whole, and not really being so concrete and looking at what's going on with just you and the team. But everybody wants to play for the Lakers. You want you, you're in a big market, and when you're in a big market, which is great for certain... us, so we're going to get people right, but. Uh... <laughs> Not everyone can play for the Lakers. Yeah, there's course, only, two, there's I mean, only there's yeah. a, what, 15 roster spots available. That's it. 600 plus NBA play, professional basketball players in this country. So. Yeah, but I mean, just looking at it though, when you're playing for a team like the Lakers and you're able to go ahead and, and see the the stars and the glitz and the glamour and everything else going on, you're gonna you're gonna put a lot of pressure on yourself because it's just natural to think of the environment that you're in and the amount of legacy that goes on with it. So looking at your status as far as overall with the league becomes somewhat somewhat secondary because of the fact of where you are and the amount of pressure that's put on top of it. So 
I mean, look at it, looking at it like this, I mean, there's a lot of moves that need to happen. Um, maybe bring in somebody else as far as in the front office is concerned, you know, and um, maybe even pull a situation where you, you do something of what the Raiders are doing with Gruden, you know, bringing in Gruden and, and, and bringing in him to go ahead and not only stay with the team long term, but also have some possible ownership with it. You know, I think, I, I think the Raiders are doing a great idea with that. And I think that the Lakers need to possibly look into doing that as well too, because, this team just does not have any leadership right now. You know, even though Magic is there, Magic's not on the That's floor. true. Magic's not. That's true. You know, Magic's yeah. not Magic's not leading this team and giving them direction. Hell, bring back Kobe to go ahead and be a mentor and be a guy for these guys to give them the drive because Kobe will motivate these players to get the best out of them. You know, you know I, I, it'd be better to have a leader on the floor. You know, uh, tell everybody you can bring him in. You match his out there, but they need a leader on the floor. They need an extension of the coach on the floor. They only have yeah. that right now. Um, obviously, there's going to be a lot more to talk about with the Lakers. We only have about three minutes left. So I wanted to ask you on a personal note, what's your number one New Year's resolution for this year? And are you still going with um, it? Um, me personally, I don't make New Year's resolutions. I think that I, I kind of do my thing on a daily, so I'm constantly looking at analyzing myself to be a better person and to kind of improve on things that I'm lacking in. But um, I, if I had to make a long-term goal, um, I have a few business ideas that I want to kind of get off the ground. And uh, with the job that I'm currently in right now is just making that a more of a standpoint as far as locking that in. So mainly a lot of career-based goals. Um, in regards to that, uh, possibly getting another another house and and being able to go ahead and be a little bit more comfortable for me and my kids and my family and my wife. So that's about all. What about Good you? Good goals. Good mindset. Right about 90 seconds. Mine is, aside from continuing to work out on my public speaking and get more speaking opportunities outside of uh, my membership with Toastmasters, and I'm getting some great insights and opportunities to do that, uh, my number one goal is to stay in civilian clothing, which means stay out of hospital gowns, if I possibly can, by getting my rest, working with your nutritionist, uh, outline a diet that uh, will be easy to follow, uh, and just setting myself up to stay out of the hospital and to stay in civilian clothing so that I can do what I do and grow. Um, and we'll leave it at that. We have about 60 seconds left to go. We'll be back next week. NFL Divisional Playoff Weekend. We will uh, react to Saturday's results and preview the games on Sunday. That will be determined today by today's action. Uh, more NBA, possibly, uh, possibly, possibly baseball. And, uh, oh, yeah, we need to bring back the man crush and knuckleheads of the week. Those are sports we're admiring, and those are sports that we want to slap on the back of the neck and wake them up. So we will get back into that next week. Thank you very much for listening to the Dyer Sports Radio Show on Radio AFS. For Patrick Duhaney, I'm Steve Etzkowitz. Enjoy the games today. Have a productive week. And remember, to accomplish your resolutions, make sure you mobilize your mind to be a roadmap and not a roadblock. Take care, everybody. Bars.